0: Hallelujah. I feel the preaching spirit coming on. Please open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 13, chapter 20, and chapter 25. It's on page 1027 in your Thompson Large Print Bible. Matthew 13 and beginning at verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside and great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore and he spake many things unto them in parables saying behold a sower went forth to sow. Matthew chapter 20 if you would turn there with me please. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers unto his vineyard. And when he had, if I say agreed, when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Chapter 25 and verse number 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. And let everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated. The great task. I started preaching in January. I accepted the call to preach in January of 1969. In just a few months, I will have been preaching the gospel 30 years. I got up from the altar. It took a long time for God to call me to preach. I got called to preach 20 minutes after I got the Holy Ghost. Never did understand why it took so long for some people to get called. And from the time that I was filled with the Holy Ghost before I ever quit speaking in tongues, I cannot tell you that I'm different from other people, but I got a burden for people to see people baptized with the Holy Ghost, to see people saved from the very outset of me being saved. And I praise God for that burden. I travel across this country all the time preaching seminars and doing seminars on soul winning and I guess the greatest need in the United Pentecostal Church and I know that we have the greatest preachers in the world there are no greater preachers in the world than apostolic preachers we have by far the greatest singers in the whole world. We are gifted with great talent, with great abilities. We have people from every walk of life. I think that God has fitly formed this church together, and I do feel a preaching spirit. My goodness. But there is a great need in our churches today for men and women who have the ability to teach and apply the Word of God with simplicity and and with clarity. I was in a large seminar not long ago and uh, I asked several questions and one of those questions was, have you ever heard the complete, simple gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection in a form that you can understand? And there was only a small handful that was able to raise their hands and say that I completely understand the message of the death and burial And resurrection I thank God for church can you say amen to that I realize that church is one of the most important entities in our life our lives are right the middle of our life is the church can I have an amen we everything we do revolves around the house of God I praise God for that can I have an amen? amen but the truth of the matter is that when you come to the house of God when you come to church we are putting an undue burden upon that pastor every time we come to the house of God. We're saying, Pastor, you're the preacher. You get the job done. You preach to the sinner. You bring them to the altar. You make sure they get the Holy Ghost. You baptize them and so on. But the truth of the matter is that when the preacher gets to the house of God, he has to be a psychiatrist in order to survive. Because every time I walk to my pulpit, I am burdened with the needs of that congregation. And the truth of the matter is, every church service is divided into four main parts. Uh, We enter into its gates with thanksgiving, into its courts with praise, and there should be a time of praise and worship. There always should be a time of prayer in the house of God. And there are always, I I do not believe in coming to the house of God without receiving an offering. I believe the Lord teaches us to bring an offering to the house of the Lord. And so we have our time of giving. And then there is the time of preaching, and even at the time of preaching, uh, there is so much demand on that preaching that sinners come into our church and walk out and are not saved, not because we don't have good churches and not because we don't have good preachers, but because the church demands so much time of itself that we don't give enough time to those who are lost. And there's a great need among us for soul winners in the local church. You only need one soul winner in a church for a church to go. One soul winner can bring more people in than most preachers can run off. I'm trying to be nice. Amen. And the truth of the matter is most of our churches... Do not have a single soul winner in that church. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 says, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. This book is God's book. It was breathed by God. Can I have an amen? This book is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. This book will do its work. And verse two of of chapter of Second Timothy uh, chapter four, verse two, he says, "Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, and so on and so forth." And and, and he said, "I want you to make full proof of thy ministry." And one of the greatest assets that we have in the entire world is that book. That book will do its work. I said this book will do its work. You need to know who you learn from. You need to know that what you teach comes from God. You need to preach the word, but we need to teach that word with the best of our ability. And he said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, Before I go much further, I want to tell you, I don't come here today as a novice. I've I've been, I've been involved in soul winning and it's been my major for 29 and a half years. And I intend to go to my grave being one thing and that is God. I want to be a soul winner more than I want to be a pastor, more than I want to be a preacher, more than I want to be somebody else. God, I've got to be a soul winner. Amen. If you're going to be a, a soul winner, you're going to have to learn to be faithful to the Word. You to have to learn to be committed to that Word, and you're going to have to learn to love that Word. Can I have a witness, somebody? Now, I want to deal today, I want to deal with three parables that I feel like that the Lord has sent me uh, here today with. Number one, in Matthew 13, Jesus went out of the house, he sat in that boat, and he started teaching them in parables. Matthew chapter 13 is often called the book of parables. There are seven parables in uh, the book of Matthew chapter 13. And he starts with with a man that went forth to sow... And some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came. And then it fell among stony ground, and then it fell among thorns, and it fell on good ground. Now, when I first got saved, you know, I I wasn't real smart. I wasn't real intelligent. And and I, I learned to interpret the Word the way you taught me to interpret the Word. And I've heard it preached that, that those four soils talk about the fact that only one out of four people can be saved, or, or only one out of four kinds of people can be saved, that if the seed doesn't fall on good ground, it cannot be saved. And I've wondered that, and i pondered that, and I believe that, that, that the seed can fall on good ground and that it can be saved. But I can't believe for one moment that because somebody has a hard-packed heart, or that somebody is among the thorns, or the... Among the the stones that they have to die and go to hell. This parable is not telling us that only one out of four people can be saved, but rather it's telling the church uh, that if the other people are going to be saved, it's going to take a lot of work on our part. Now, I don't don't want to go beyond uh, what I'm here to do today, and I praise God for the operation of the Spirit. I thank God for healing. I thank God for angels. I thank God for all the mystical parts of the church. Uh, But there's one part that we ought to put our feet on the ground, and that is God has got a work for us to do, and nobody else is going to do that work. If we don't do it, it won't get done. God doesn't want angels to do what he's called us to do, and the gifts of the Spirit won't take the place of, of the man or woman with the Word of God in their hand. Somebody shout amen. I think it's important to understand that, 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 that some seed do fall by the wayside. Uh, not too long ago, uh, I, was, uh, I, I received a call from a lady, and uh, she wanted me to help her husband. And uh, the story didn't start that there. It actually went back about 10 years in which I had him and her in a Bible study and I was teaching them the Word of God and he started making some changes. And, and she saw the changes that he was making and they lived on Silk Stock and Hill. That's where the rich folks live. And, and, and she was a member of the society, and her husband was making changes too quick, and, and, and being a typical American and being hen-pecked, uh, she just led him away from the Bible study because she didn't want him to make those changes. And I didn't see them for about 10 years, and I received a phone call from her, and she said, I I want you to help my husband. I said, is this who I think it is? And she said, yes. I said, lady, 10 years ago, I was helping your husband. And I said, your husband was on his way to salvation, and your husband was on his way to his right mind. I said, it seemed to me like that there was somebody that ran interference in that, and it was you. And I said, do you want me to help him again just so he gets back on his feet so you can drag him out again? Or do you want to change right along beside him? I said, I'm not interested in teaching him until he gets back on his feet and then you're dragging him back. But if you'll make a commitment, I'll, I'll help both of you. She said, you're kind of hard. I said, I'm kind of truthful. And so I started, I, I started going over there on Saturday night and, and teaching them a Bible study. And what, oh, what a Bible study we had. Praise God. And we was in that Bible study one night was around this big oak table and, and I was, I was sitting there and it was a real tense Bible study. And, and I had a preacher that, that came to spend a few days with and he wanted to go through our Bible study and our soul winning program. And, and I said, look, when we pulled up the driveway, I said, this is a sticky Bible study and, and you. you You know how preachers, how opinionated they are? I said, don't you open your mouth in this Bible study. I said, if if you hear things you don't agree with or they make comments, in general, shut up, don't say a word. I said, I'm teaching this Bible study by myself tonight and you just observe. And so we were sitting at the Bible study and I was teaching the word of God. I am the best Bible study teacher that's ever walked in shoe leather. Praise God. You ain't heard it taught till you've heard me teach it. I am the best soul winner in America. There is no soul winner in America that's greater than I am. I've come to Louisiana to put my crown on the line today and I challenge you to out soul win me. 550 days before the year 2000 and somebody needs to stand up and say I'm going to be the greatest soul in America I'm going to put brother Cornwell on the back row and I'm going to step up front I don't think there's anybody here who can do it but if you'd like to try and challenge that I'll take a thousand challenges we were sitting there and, and about the time he started squirming I thought, "What's wrong with you, man?" And I, everybody was watching him, sweats pouring down his face. And, and after a while I turned, I said, "Would you be still?" And he said... <laughs> and about the time he just relaxed, and then that cat started climbing up my leg. When I screamed, they almost got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I was teaching one Saturday night and I went out to my car and, and they knelt down on the driveway uh, next to my car door. I had my window roll down and, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, Brother Cornell," he said, you come over here on Saturday night. And he said, he said, man, he said, you are, you are addictive. He said, "We, you leave here and we don't sleep that night. So we lay in bed talking. We rehearsed everything you taught and everything you said and everything that you've done. And he said, Sunday, he said, we are hyper all day Sunday. But he said, about noon on Monday, our world crashes in on us. And I, I realized, I realized that I was throwing seed out there. But the devil was reaching out and stealing that seed. There was a hard-packed earth somewhere under his fifth rib that had to be penetrated. You know, the Lord said for us to break up the fallow ground— Hosea 10 said, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, and break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. We are not willing to work with a person until we can break down the ground, until the seed can get in the ground. It's time for us to realize, yes, God has blessed us. Yes, we have more than we've ever had, but God is looking for laborers that's willing to work until the ground is broken down. When he said that, I got out of my car. It dawned on me exactly what he was saying. I said, I'll tell you what, Bob. I said, uh, let, let, me, let, me come, let me come down to your office on Monday, and let me teach you the word Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for an hour on your lunch hour. He said, Pastor, he said, there are too many eruptions. Let me come to your office at noon every day. And teach me in the quietness of your office I said you got a deal I mean the offering plates are closer to my office than they are to his and so on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday I taught him an hour every day we didn't get very far, I taught Saturday night in his home, and I said let's try it another week, and we tried it another week, and I taught him on Saturday night and I said let's try it another week, and we tried it another week, and and, and I taught him on Saturday night, for about eight or nine consecutive weeks, every Monday through Friday, for one hour he was in my office, I never will forget the afternoon on Thursday when he walked in, and he was shaking almost uncontrollably, he said Something is happening to me. I said, Come into my office. And we went in my office. I said, Kneel down on the carpet. He knelt down on the carpet and I started casting devils out. Let me tell you what the word will do. Oh, my God, I feel a preaching spirit. Let me tell you what the word will do. The word will cast devils out. He cast out devils by his word. Amen. Well, I believe in doing it the apostolic way. Praise God. I just laid my hands on it and devil, come out. And the devil's come out. And three days later, the devils are back in because there's nothing in to keep them out again. But you put the word in their heart and drive the devil out with a word. The devil's not going to be able to invade again. When that last devil came out of him He laid over on my carpet Almost like he was slain And he came to And, 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 and we finished the Bible study it that day And he went back to downtown To where he worked Driving an XJ6 Jaguar And at 6 o'clock that evening He called me He said, Brother Cornwell I, I got to talk to you I said, alright I said, what's the problem? He said, I don't know He said, I, I left your office I was on my way back downtown yeah. And he said, something, something came in my car he said, something came in my car. I said, well, what happened? He said, it got so strong, I had to pull over on the side of the freeway. I said, what did you do? He said, well, he said, I, I, I figured that the, the, what I felt in your office was the Holy Ghost. And I, he said, it, it felt the same thing coming in my car and I just couldn't drive. And he said, I just stopped. And I thought, now what should I? Do? He looks like I taught him eight weeks, five days a week and then taught him every Saturday for 48 weeks you got to teach something there's only 12 lessons in exploring God's word there's only 10 in search for truth there's only, only two in those cheap Bible studies pun intended I challenge the whole mess of them to a soul winning contest and let's find out who can win the most souls in one year and let's go with that put that in your pipe and smoke it I said, what happened? He said, well, he said, he said uh, I, I, you, you taught on the book of Psalms. and I, I, just, I just raised my hand and I said, praise the Lord. Yeah. But he said, Pastor, he said, that's what's wrong. He said, I got to trying to praise the Lord just like you said, but it just wouldn't come out right. I said, what do you mean it didn't come out right? He said, well, I was, I was trying to just praise the Lord. And he said, I still don't understand what I said. God baptized him with the Holy Ghost on the side of the freeway in his car. Not because he came from a Sunday morning service, but because somebody broke up the foul of ground and somebody was willing to work with him until the devils came out of his life. You don't have to go to hell if you're on the wayside. You don't have to go to hell because you've been stepped on, packed down, and run over. <laughs> Sister Coleman and I had opportunity to go to Israel. I, I'm a stickler about the word. I believe in if it says being baptized, get baptized. I believe the word says something is right. The scientists might be wrong, but the word's right. And uh, we was on this tour bus, and I kept seeing these almond groves and banana plantations and orange groves. They were they were growing up in the rock beds. I told the, I told our guide. I said, "Stop! I want to see something." I got out of the bus. Walked out into the orange grove there, and there was, it was almost like a rock bed. I said, What's the deal? I said, This is against the Bible. The Bible says that you plant seed on stony ground, it grows up, but because of the depth of earth, it withers away when the sun comes out. I said, It looks to me like everything's all right here. He said, Oh, he said, You Americans are all alike. He said, you are from Kansas, the breadbasket of the world. He said, he said, if, if, if there's a, a few acres that hard plowing, he said, y'all let it grow up in weeds and move over 50 feet and plow just the good ground. But he said, in Israel, it's not like that. We don't have very much property. And he said, he said, do you realize that the Jewish people are the most energetic people in the world? And he said, he said, it's the Arabs that are so lazy that God put these rocks here to protect this country from the Arabs. He was a Jewish guide. I said, say that again. He said, these rocks are the greatest blessing that we've ever had. He said, he said, we got back to Israel. It was still unplowed ground. It was still unclaimed land because it was so rocky they didn't want it. But he said, we got here, and we realized that God preserved this for us with those rocks. He said, what we do is we take a hammer drill, and we drill a hole in the rock, just a tiny hole, just enough to get to the bottom. And then we take the orange tree or the orange seedling, and we put it in the little hole. And the root goes down through our little hole until it gets underneath the rock, and then we... We let the trees break up the rocks for us. And I thought, you know what? What, what? God has preserved Louisiana for us. The Baptists are lazy. The Methodists are lazy. They don't run buses. They don't teach Bible studies. I mean, they don't have all-night prayer meetings. And, and, and we look around at Louisiana. It's not a burnover over field. It's a rocky field. And all we need is somebody that's willing to take that word and work on that hard rock until we get just a little bit of crevice in it so we can plant that seedling in that rock. God's not telling us that only one out of four can be saved. He is saying that the task is going to be difficult, but God made us equivalent to that task. Somebody needs to just shout amen. I'm going to tell you what, there's no more good ground out there. If you're waiting for good ground for your church to grow, you're wasting your time. The denominations have already claimed all the good ground, but God has preserved three out of four of it for us that are willing to work, that's willing to break up the fallow ground, that's willing to cut down the thorns and cut down the hedges. Somebody needs to shout amen. Amen. I'm trying to be nice, Brother Tenney, but I just feel an attitude here. I don't care how good you can preach. I don't care how good you can sing. I want to know if you're willing to be a laborer for the Lord. I wonder if you're willing to work for God when there's no spotlight on you, when there's no limelight on you. I wonder if you're willing to work for God when nobody will ever see what you're doing except the hand of Almighty God. Let me tell you something. Let's break up the fallow ground. Let's break up the stony ground. Let's cut down the thorns. This, this won't cost you anything. This is free. This is free. Uh, anybody ever have revival and backsliders pray through? Huh? We have revival, and I can count on 37 people getting the Holy Ghost, never revival. Same 37. Makes the fans feel good. 37 got the Holy Ghost. But there's some that I wish they had a ball peen hammer that just as soon as they pray through and start talking in tongues, conk them. Send them on to eternity saved. Because three days later, they're going to be backslidden on the road to hell again. You know why? It's because something's not penetrating. And if, some, if we could get the Word of God in the backsliders home and anchor him in the Word, we'd lose a lot less people. Can I have an amen? Now, go with me. Go with me to Matthew chapter 20. "The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder. He went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers <coughs> for a penny, he sent them into the vineyard. You know, he went out the third hour, saw others standing idle. He went out the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle. And said to them, why stand you here all the day idle? This is, this is tricky. I was driving down Highway 99 out of Bakersville, California. I looked out into a, a vineyard, and it looked like, to me, a freezer paper. About five or six foot wide. And they had unrolled it down the middle every middle in that vineyard and I, I thought maybe they was trying to flag the airplane in to you know to dust the, but it was harvest time so I pulled off the freeway drove out into the vineyard I got out and I found the superintendent that was seemingly the boss and I said uh, I'm a preacher and I don't mean to be dumb but I said what in the world are y'all doing He said, uh, we're getting ready for the harvest. I said, all right. He said, what's the paper all about? He said, these grapes are going to be made into sun-made raisins. And he said, we are waiting for the weather report. And when they tell us that we're going to have 72 hours of extremely dry weather, we are going to come into this field and we are going to harvest this entire field in one day. I said, why? He said, because we want these grapes to dry uniform so that they can be packaged into raisins. And he said, we're not going to take the time to cut them, bundle them, take them to the drying sheds and spread them. When When we give the signal... That morning they're going to come in and they're going to cut and lay, cut and lay, cut and lay, cut and lay. And we're going to leave these grapes in the field for 72 hours until they can, until the skin of that grape toughens so that they can be moved and bundled without being ruptured. Son, I got the feeling right out there in that field. And he said, then we're going to bring a machine in. And then we're going to roll that huge bundle up in that paper, that bale. And then we'll put it on a truck, take it to the drying sheds, and then we'll unroll it again. And then we will continue the drying process until it is finished. When he told me that, it made me to understand this parable much more. I was in Delano, California, preaching a revival back during the wine-grape juice controversy when a bunch of sinners was trying to serve us alcohol. <laughs> it's all right. They know I'm just picking. <laughs> and, and being a young evangelist that I was, I loved controversial stuff. And so being a chemical engineer, being a chemist, I was going to prove scientifically that we was right. And so I went to the Gallo wineries, and I asked to tour the plant. And uh, they did. They offered me several samples of different wines. And uh, I told them, I said, I'm doing a study on wine from the Bible perspective and, 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 and communion. And when I told them that, <coughs> uh, the, the owner came out and he said, are you the preacher? Yes. He said, come. I went into his office and he said, let me give you some. Interesting stuff," he said. "Winemaking has not changed in six thousand years. Thank you, sir. In six thousand years, he said. He said, when we when we bring the the, the, the grapes in or the the grapes in and we dry them, they in the old days they packed them in sawdust, buried them in the ground." And left them there until they needed the drink. And then they would bring them out of the crates and the sawdust. And they would put water on them and wait a number of days. And the grape would re Reswell. And then they would, they would press the grape afresh. And so we could have fresh grapes year round. And he said, he said they put the, 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 the fresh drink in, in new wineskins to keep it from rupturing the old bottles. And he said, he said, if we wanted it cold, we would dig a hole in the ground. And we would place the goatskin bag in the hole, cover it with straw, mix it with sand. And then we would pour water on it all night long. And the desert air would dry. It would evaporate the water. And the next morning, you could have ice on your drinking. You so desired. And I I, when I got when I left there, I realized that there was a custom that when it got time to to harvest that crop, it was their livelihood for the entire year. And every morning at daylight, the owner of his field would go to the northwest corner of his field, and as the sun would rise in, in, in the eastern sky, he would lick his finger, and he would start counting. One, two, three, four. And if his finger would stay wet, he would go back and say, no harvest today. The next morning at daylight, he went back. He licked his finger, and he would count. One, two. And one morning he would go to his field and he would start counting and all of a sudden he realized his finger turned cold and that the water had evaporated off his finger very quickly and he knew that humidity was very low and that his crop could be harvested and could be salvaged because the humidity was low. He ran to the marketplace and screamed it's harvest time. And then he would hire as many laborers as he could into his vineyard because he had to harvest that field in one day. And what he did not harvest that day was left behind to rot. And when he got up that morning and he called harvest time, the third hour, he realized, I haven't hired enough laborers. I've got to go back. And so he went back and he hired some more laborers that he thought could get the job done. And he went back the sixth hour and said, they're not getting the job done. I've got to have more. And he hired more the sixth hour. He hired more the ninth hour. And then the eleventh hour, he came and he was desperate because the field was not going to be harvested that day and too much was going to be lost. And he looked at those and he said, why stand ye idle all the day long? Oh, did he give them a blistering rebuke. But friend, let me tell you something. It was those in the marketplace that gave him the sternest rebuke. He said, we have been here since 6 o'clock this morning, and no man hath hired us. I say it's time that we equip and that we commission and that we train our people for this 11th hour. They've been standing idle in the marketplace all the day it's time it's time to mobilize our people and get them in the harvest field before it's too late i'm sorry i'm gonna ride this horse a few more minutes there are too many churches that have no soul winners. They sit on our pews. They pay tithe. They dress right. They go the right places. They don't go to the wrong places. They do everything that we want them to do. But that's not enough. I said that's not enough. Don't look at me and say, Brother Cornwell, we don't like you and we're angry at what you're preaching. Let me tell you something, preacher. It's time for us to call our people to the harvest field. And we got to train them and teach them to do the work of All right, Uh, Brother Teddy's not going to let me come back for seven more years, so let me give you the whole load right now, okay? (laughs) Well, praise God, we can get on the internet and reach people. And, and, and we'd do like Coca-Cola, get on television and preach the gospel to the whole world. Come on, folks. Get off your hobby horse. The only people that watch t- uh, church on television is the charismatic to see who's preaching a b- uh, good lately. The sinners aren't tuning in the preachers. The sinners have a carnal attitude. They think all we want is their money. And if everybody watched television came to church, we still would have empty church houses. It's going to take the man to get off of his high horse and get down in the field, take the knife in his hand, cut and lay, cut and baptize. I'm telling you folks that we've got a mighty army that's sleeping among us. And we need men and we need women that are trained to preach the gospel and to teach the gospel. You know, well, I, I can't do it. I can I just can't do it. And you know, that's not my cup of tea. What's your cup of tea? Driving a Cadillac and eating high fluting places. Some of you, some of you w- would have a nervous breakdown in a sinner's home. You'd feel defiled walking into a sinner. You've been saved so long. We got a lady in our church she can't read or write and I, i've been preaching heavy on soul winning I, I i don't i don't make a hobby horse out of it i try not to preach it over three times a week and she came at me she said you think i could win a soul you think i could teach a bible study you think i could win a soul i said sure you can well there's a will there's a way about three months later she brought this young couple down the aisle nice looking couple and uh I said, can I help y'all? She said, we'd like to be baptized. I said, great. I said, y'all take them to the baptism. Well, she said, wait just a minute. She said, do you baptize in Jesus' name? I said, yes, ma'am. You believe in holiness? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, is this a one-God church? And I said, yes, ma'am. And I, my head's swimming. Well, yeah, or oh, and so they took her to get her ready to be baptized. And I looked at this lady that brought them down the aisle and she couldn't read right. I said, I said, where do these people come from? Oh, she said, I've been teaching them Bible study. <laughs> Boy, I thought a miracle took place. I thought God had taught her how to read. But I was teaching a Bible study to an elderly gentleman and and, and he brought his ghetto blaster to Bible study, every Bible study. And he would set his ghetto blaster up next to my Bible study chart. And she said, Pastor, she said, "Uh, I, I can't read or write. But she said, I got your tapes. And she said, I got to listen to them. And she said, do you know every time you turn the page, you can hear it on the tape? And she said, I can't read and I can't write. But I can play a tape recorder and I can turn a page. And she said, I just brought your tape over and plugged it in. And, and they don't know I can't read and write because I turn the page at the right place every time. You're not, not going to sit there and have an excuse to go to hell with. I'm telling you, God is looking for laborers. He's not looking for skilled workers. He's looking for laborers. He's looking for laborers. I was preaching a seminar up uh, in the North Country, and uh, they brought this boy to Bible study seminar in a wheelchair. And he had an alphabet board on his wheelchair. I, I don't know if he had MS or MD or what he uh, he was spastic. I don't, I don't know what it's called, but he, he couldn't talk, and he was spastic, and he would drool. And, and, and the only way he could talk was when he would get control of himself, he would get his finger, and he would he would spell out words one letter at a time with his finger on that board so after four days of seminar this lady came up she said he wants to talk to you and we had a young man like that in our church and i knew it was going to take some time i said i'll be with you in just a few minutes so after church was over i knelt down beside him and and he was so excited he shook that wheelchair and he drooled and and, and he finally got himself together and he pulled his finger down and he spelled out one letter at a time may i teach a bible study (laughs) I shook my head on that one I walked away I said where there's a will there's a way cheap cop out until several months later his pastor called he had a couple that pushed him down the sidewalks and rung doorbells for him and they would say he would like to ask you a question and thousands of doors slammed in their face one afternoon a couple and this lady said he would like to ask you a question he, they looked down at this boy in his wheelchair with this board on it. And they stepped off the porch. They knelt down on either side of him. It took him five minutes to calm down. First time anybody had ever came out and let him talk. And he spelled out, may I teach you a home Bible study? And they said, you, you want to teach us a Bible study? With your finger? And, and he just went berserk, drooling everywhere couldn't talk, and shook that wheelchair. I, I, he was having a brush arbor spasm in a wheelchair. And, and this couple let him teach a Bible study, one le- exploring God's Word, 12 lessons, one letter at a time with his finger, and, and, and in between all the spastic uh, uh, fits he would have. And the pastor said, I just wanted you to know that I just baptized his family in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let you sit on a pew with an excuse and go to hell with it. If you want to be a soul winner, you can be a soul winner. Don't Mean you're too important in your church to teach Bible studies or to win souls or run a bus route or, or, or to, to knock doors. God has called. This is calling. Listen, we're 551 days until the change of the millennium. 551 days till the year 2000, and God is calling us in this 11th hour, and He's calling everybody that He can. let me let me tell you why I got saved I had a roommate in college that won me to God far as I know I'm the only one he's ever won but my goodness he won a good one. man you don't have to win very many just win the right one did he did he win the lottery or what You know, I got, I got saved because there was a youth camp here in 1967. And John Kershaw was preaching his youth camp during the Six-Day War. Scared the Hades out of everybody. You know, a thousand people got saved him preaching false doctrine. I want you to know that the Jews are going to Jerusalem and they're going to that whaling wall and there's nothing to separate them except the barbed wire fence. Yeah. <laughs> now, if he didn't say it, he implied it that the Lord's going to come back in June of 1967. Son, yeah, well, that's exactly what I always prayed. God, let me get saved right under the wire. Let me live any way I want to live, and 15 minutes before the rapture, let me get saved, get the best of both worlds. I figured anybody could live for God 30 days. <laughs> and 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 then, right after the youth camp, T.G. McNeely came to Ruston, and preached on the Pale Horse Rider. You ever heard him preach on the pale? I can still preach it. I can preach it better than he can now. He talked about that pale horse and, and death set upon that horse and hell followed close behind. And that was my introduction to Pentecost. John Kershaw got me to believe the rapture was going to take place in June and John Kershaw throwed me in hell. I mean, T.J. Magnute throwed me into hell. I figured, all right, I'm going to live for God for 30 days. There were five wise and five foolish virgins. I've heard it preached every way that you can preach it. I've heard all the eschatological remarks about it. The the, the ten virgins have been preached worldwide. But there's a big difference between the wise and the foolish. Now, I don't understand all about the revelations part. Brother Teresa will straighten us out about that tomorrow. But there's one thing I know, that the foolish prepared for a short journey and the wise prepared for a long one. When I, when I lived for God 30 days and the Lord didn't come back in June, I got mad at John Kershaw for lying to me. But I had to make a decision whether I wanted to live for God another 30. I made a decision that day that I was going to live for God. It it, it doesn't matter who does or who doesn't. I'm living for God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do regardless of what anybody else wants to do. If y'all all all want to backslide, that's fine with me. That's your choice. But my choice is I'm going to live for God. (laughs) The sad part of the scripture in chapter 25 it says, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made that bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And then those the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. I'm sure that if you study Revelation and Daniel and Zechariah and, and all, uh, 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 all those others, That you're gonna cut this to ribbons tomorrow but it's me preaching today okay they said not so lest there be not enough for us and you and that almost makes me want to puke we're sitting here as wise virgins we're sitting here saying that we are rapture ready We're sitting here saying everything's right with us and God. But that's not the question as to whether or not we are right with God and whether we're ready to meet the rapture or not. I want to know if you got any extra oil for anybody else. I want to know if you got any oil you can share with somebody whose lights have gone out or somebody that doesn't even have a lamp. I'm preaching this afternoon with a great burden in my heart. The Lord is just all over me today. I want to know if, if, if Matthew 13 says the task is difficult and Matthew 20 says it's urgent then what does Matthew 25 say? And that is there's a danger of not doing the task that God called us to do. I am convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that the greatest sermons are yet to be preached and the greatest revivals are yet to be had. Don't bring that Tommy rot to me that you've got a burnt over field and that your city has been testified to. I say, no, sir, my friend. I want to know if you've got enough oil to plant another crop, enough oil to share with somebody else. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's stand here for just a moment. The Holy Ghost is in this room right now. I'm not, folks, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be ugly today. But I'm ready for the rapture. I'm ready for the Lord to come. I have prayed this week. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I'm checking the pot. And I want to make sure there's oil for somebody else in that bowl. I want to make sure that I'm concerned about somebody else besides just my family. Is there a neighbor? Is there a co-worker? Is there somebody that needs the baptism of the Holy Ghost and it's up to me to reach them with the gospel.